Welcome to Marin Costello Radio, where we have intentional conversations with impactful people, your weekly dose of motivation, inspiration, and entrepreneurship. Join me as we explore the ins and outs of building and running a business, interview leaders across all industries, and find the common denominator beneath it all. This is Marin Costello Radio. Ladies and gents, we have such an amazing guest for you on the show today. Ali Egan is the founder and CEO of Veracity, a science-backed whole health approach to hormonal care. Prior to founding Veracity, Ali was the CEO of Cynthia Rowley, one of my favorite brands, where she led the transformation to -to direct-to-consumer and more than doubled the business in two years. She has extensive experience in the beauty industry through her time at some of Estee Lauder's best brands, including Origins, Clinique, and La Mer. She also has a broad consumer experience through her time as an investor at L. Catterton. She holds a BS in finance and foreign affairs from the University of Virginia and an MBA with high distinction from Harvard Business School. Wow, Allie, what a resume. It feels so formal. Thank you. Thank you for that uh, introduction. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you are such a force. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Um, How was your day, first and foremost? Uh, my day is great. Uh, it's uh, gets off to a little bit of a hectic start. I'm solo parenting for the few days um, because my husband is traveling for work. But you know, we make it all we make it all come together. <laughs> Super mom in the house. Um, well, one of the questions that we love to start off our shows with to kind of get a full, broad spectrum of our guests is what was Little Alley like. Oh, goodness. Uh, little Allie. Well, I was like a super tomboy, which is kind of funny that then I went on to have a career in beauty and fashion and, you know, all that other stuff. Like I wanted to be with the boys, like play sports, get dirty, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I also just remember having like a very vivid imagination, which I think is, um, you know, comes through now in, in creating businesses and brands, you have to just be imaginative and think out of the box and really explore. And I, I just love trying to like harness that, you know, piece of, of little alley. I love that. So where do you think the, you know, the feminine industry of beauty came into your life? That's a good question. Uh, I think part of my maturation and that was, um, sort of being comfortable. Like I never wanted to be labeled as something. Um, and I know the, you know, the whole world has taken this to like the nth degree, but you know, I, I, it's like, it's not that I didn't like dresses, dresses for example. Right. I just like, I really hated ruffles at the time. Um, <laughs> uh, and, um, there were just like, I, I didn't like the stereotype of like, you know, wearing bright pink and doing that kind of thing. And think, I think what I've explored through myself over time, and is that that's not, not femininity. It's just learning what sort of clicks with you and not being ashamed and, and sort of finding the pieces, um, that just really resonate with you and, and, and running with them. And, and with beauty, um, I, I just love beauty because it is that like nerdy meets creative side of things. Like, you know, that veracity and and honestly, in my previous roles at Estee Lauder, um, 
like there's science, there's a lot of science involved. We work with doctors, we work with chemists. Um, it's not just a, like, um, you know, pretty dress that you're going to wear for a night or two. Um, and yeah, you're also trying to like tell a story, meet someone where they are in these like vulnerable moments of just how do they look and feel every day and present themselves to the world. And so, you know, that's why I kind of fell in love with the beauty industry. I love that. What was your first experience with entrepreneurship or first exposure to it even? Okay. Well, my very first one back to little Allie was, uh, for whatever reason, I thought it would be a good idea to sell, um, my old books that I wasn't, uh, into anymore on like the side of our corner. So, you know how like little kids have like a lemonade stand or whatever. I had like a book stand. Um, <laughs> I have no idea how profitable it was, but I do have this memories of ending up selling not only books, but like the table and chair that I was also like sitting on. So I guess I was resourceful. <laughs> way. Um, but, but no, in reality, um, my first real, uh, experience with entrepreneurship was actually when I was an investor, um, at Al Catterton and we were investing in an early stage and growth stage businesses. Um, and I was getting to work directly with the founders, um, and the CEOs. And, and that's when I developed like my real passion being like, I think I actually belong on the other side of this table. Like being an investor is so cool and really fun to like explore. Like, what, what do we think, you know, new categories are going to be in the world and what are the latest trends and how do you make financial sense of that? Um, but what I found my true passion is being like, how do you create the ideas? How do you garner a team around that? How do you build the right resources? How do you make a physical product? All that stuff. Um, so that's definitely where the sort of um, initial bug bit me. So it sounds like you're a naturally curious person. Well, that's actually one of our values at Veracity. Uh, I think, and for for me, curiosity curiosity means two things. Like one, it's you know wanting to to learn new things, but it's even how you approach um, people, situations, um, with not you know trying to not assume or judge, but but coming from a place of sort of empathy and curiosity with. Um, what could that mean? How, why might they want to do a deal that way? Why might that person have said it that way? That, that kind of, um, openness is both intellectually interesting. And I also think helps, uh, our team and myself have, you know, better, more healthier, uh, relationships with each other. That's amazing. Do you remember your first experience with the wellness and health industry? And what was your first exposure to it? Yeah. Well, you know, now there's like a, an actual industry that, <laughs> um, I, I mean, honestly, if I have to reflect like probably old school wellness industry, when I went to like GNC back in the day and like, was trying to like understand what supplements were, or honestly, and I'll, I'm sure you'll ask more about this, um, going through my infertility journey and trying to like get my first, um, supplements that were supposedly going to help with egg, egg quality and stuff like that. Um, but also, you know, I'm, um, into, I've been a runner for a long time. So there's different elements of sort of like the, the fitness side of it that have been kind of ingrained in me for quite some time. So I imagine that a lot happened between graduating from Harvard and becoming the CEO of Cynthia Rowley. So can you walk us through what that journey was like? Cause I am very curious as to how someone preps themselves and grooms themselves to be slated as a CEO in that regard. 
Yeah. I actually have a lot of people reach out and ask me because I think like as ambitious, um, individuals, you're like, well, this is the dream job. Like, how do I get to the dream job faster? And I might sound like a hypocrite saying this because I obviously, you know, I think I was 32 when I was, when, when I joined C, uh, Cynthia Rally as CEO. So that's obviously quite young. Um, but I, I, I think my business school experience was really helpful in helping me just like, um, focus not on titles, but like on what is the experience that is actually going to enable me to be good at any of these jobs. Uh, and what I'd come from this background of like finance, uh, strategy operations, like seeing all pieces of a business through the investor lens, but I didn't do any of those things. Like, you know, I never run a marketing program. I had never coordinated with product development and operations. And like, I had never set up an e-commerce website or any of that stuff. So th those were, I was like, I just need to get those skills. So when I was at um, Harvard, I just honestly worked for free for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> Glossier was one of the first things. And like when they were just starting out, um, I was like, will you take me basically? Um, and I did this for Alice and Olivia, um, Pure Bar, like a bunch of different companies. And that was such um, valuable experience to just really get hands on, like, you know, down and dirty, like how do I do these functional skills? Um, and then when I left, uh, Harvard and, um, went to, uh, Estee Lauder, I think that helped me in my career there be more impactful because, um, I think a lot of, um, you know, business school students can come into a company and they, they really are very smart and ambitious, but you also have to have respect for, um, you know, how do you actually get things done? Um, and, and having had given forced myself to have some of that experience before, I think I was, you know, able to be more effective more quickly at, um, at Estee Lauder. And then what I always say about, you know, the experience with Cynthia Rally is, I set my, I think what I did well is I set myself up to be lucky. Um, like I was obviously working hard and getting these different experiences and I was lucky enough to get introduced to Cynthia and it just happened to be sort of the right time, right place. She was looking for a leader of her business who could do like the finance side, but really also like understood the, the marketing side and how we were going to like um, grow and position the business differently in sort of the, you know, competitive and hard environment that is contemporary fashion. Um, so that, that's what I think I did well is try to be like, what, like back up and, and not be like, what titles do I want, but what skills are going to help me be successful. And then, you know, just, um, uh, and like being open and being, uh, receptive to the, those lucky encounters as well. I think it's so refreshing to hear that from someone who has gone to such a pre prestigious school as Harvard to say, I worked for free. I went into every opportunity in every opportunity curiously and humbly to learn as much as I could to position myself to then learn more and then learn more and then learn more. Like that's such a beautiful, humbling approach to the work environment, especially in a day and age when I feel that folks who might have a lot on their resume but might not necessarily have the experience come in and try and flex a little too hard, a little too soon. Um, it is yeah. so refreshing to hear that from you. And I do a lot of mentoring on my own um, with local uh, college students. And that's 
a version of what I tell them as well. It's like not to say that you're not accomplished in your own sphere of being, you know, in education and have, um, and to have had, you know, many degrees and internships on your plate, but you're the new kid on the block. So it is important yeah. to go into it forever, curiously and hungry. Yeah. It's a hard balance, especially like, especially if you're mentoring like females, right? Because you get someone talking in your ear one way of you need to be more manly, you know, stand up for your worth or, you know, you are this like valuable asset, but then you like, I, I, I think that that kind of, um, coaching is really good for, um, how you present yourself in maybe like arguing a point, but it's not good in how you present yourself for like you as a human, um, that like before you get an opportunity, if that makes any sense. So it's kind of a subtle distinction, but yeah, I think, um, we can all, if we're ever at a place where we're 25 years old and, um, and think there's nothing left to learn, then that's just like kind of sad and boring. So like, I think it's more fun to be like, what do I not know? How do I, how do I get to know more about it? That's so wonderful. Thank you for sharing. So you're at Cynthia Rally. you're the CEO. What is the journey between that and then starting Veracity? Yeah. So Theoretically, I had been in my dream job. Like I, at HBS, we had this activity where you had to uh, write yourself a letter. Um, I think we did it for like five years later, you and 10 years later, and maybe 20 years later, et cetera. Um, and I had literally written down on my piece of paper, like I will be the you know CEO of a, um, a high growth, like uh, fashion or beauty brand. And there I was, and that's what I had. Um, but I had gone through some personal health experiences, uh, that just kind of blew that up. Uh, and so, uh, long story short, um, starting when I was at HBS, I all of a sudden broke out in this eczema like skin on my face and I had never even had dry skin. So I was like uh, freaking out, of course, like a lot of us do when these things like come out of nowhere, it seems like, or, you know, or just persistent problems. So of course I, um, I saw a dermatologist and I was like, help me figure this out. Uh, they assured me that it was just contact dermatitis and something was irritating me and it would kind of resolve itself. Well, it didn't resolve itself. And I just chalked it up to stress. Like I was trying to get a job. I was then working intense jobs, you know, all that stuff and, and dealt with this skin issue for, you know, the better part of four years, um, until I joined Cynthia rally. Um, and you know, a few months in there, I, I was in my, uh, early thirties and I I've been with my husband for quite some time. And we, we had always said we want to have kids, but I was a career driven person. So, but we were like, I guess this is the time, like we should really start, um, trying. Uh, and so I, you know, got off my hormonal IUD, we started trying, um, and we weren't successful. And I had seemingly a lot of red flags too. I wasn't getting my natural period regularly. Um, and obviously we weren't getting pregnant. So I ended up, uh, found myself in, um, infertility related testing where they test all your hormones. Um, and this was my first exposure to this. Um, and through this, I learned that I have an, um, a disease called, uh, Hashimoto's. So this is a form of hypothyroidism. I didn't even know what a thyroid hormone was and it affects 50, 50% of women have thyroid issues at some point in their life. Um, 
but even then I was just given a pill and then we started IVF and we went on this, like, honestly, really, really painful journey where I had an ectopic pregnancy. We had multiple, um, failed transfers. And then I had a miscarriage at about eight weeks. And I was just, I was just like a broken person. Um, and I knew I just couldn't continue to like beat the same dead horse or like operate in the same way. And so I started really, I literally went and looked at every single lab result from all of this testing I was doing with IVF was reading about it. And then I was like, wait, I need to know more about this Hashimoto's thing because they diagnosed me with this disease and then didn't really tell me anything about it. So I start reading literally papers on Hashimoto's. And the first thing that comes up in the symptoms is like dry, flaky skin often on the face. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, and it was just, at first it was, it was a huge point of frustration because I was like, I had these signals four years prior and I wasn't alerted to that. And not only was I not able to resolve this skin problem, but like, I also didn't have this really important information about my underlying health that like, it's going to affect like my entire future life and happiness. And so, um, you know, and then like after having gotten like what that, you know, kind of an understanding that root cause, you know, now a few years later, I, um, have never had my skin issue again. I have two children and I actually am not even on thyroid medication anymore because I'm able right now, at least to self-manage around that. So anyway, uh, throughout that journey, like just this frustration and this realization that no one in the beauty or wellness industry, like people are talking about wellness, but it's so superficial and like the ultimate wellness is health because as healthier individuals, like you're going to look better. Your skin is going to look better. Your hair is going to be better. Like all of these things. And I was like, I think there's a real, not only do I have a personal passion for just more women having access to this, you know, important information about their health, like, um, but, um, but also there's a business opportunity here because, uh, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, and so I just felt so passionate about it and felt like there was a real opportunity. So I was like, all right, if I'm ever going to do something, I had always thought I might have my own company one day, but didn't have an idea. And I was like, this has got to be the idea. And so that's kind of what sparked me to get the courage to like, leave that dream job and explore starting what is now veracity. What was the timeline from sparking the idea for you to own your own company to creating the idea to maybe laying out the framework for your brand to then making the jump to it? Yeah. So uh, I, I think the idea sort of started marinating right when um, I had this like sort of aha moment where I learned that this Hashimoto's like the symptom was this dry skin. But it didn't become like a formed business idea until a little later. And it was just more, I I don't know, I have this habit. My I like, I I don't think we allow ourselves to let our mind wander enough. Like mm-hmm. um, you know, in the shower, driving, like walking, whatever. We're always like listening something, doing something, checking email, checking Instagram, et cetera. But um I try to do let my mind wander. And, and it was just sort of through that, that I would like write random notes on my iPhone about ideas and things that I wanted to research. And I would just kind of like spend some nights and weekends, not in a very organized way, just kind of doing some things. Um, and then, uh, it, 
it wasn't until, and this is the advice I do give a lot of entrepreneurs is like, you need to get your ideas out, even if they are not fully like formed. So I actually ended up going to a friend's, um, like dinner party, uh, and kind of sharing this crazy idea where I was like, I think we can, um, use an element of testing, uh, to help give people like information about their health. That's going to improve, you know, their skin and aesthetics and kind of give them this underlying thing. And I think it's hormone, like, you know, it's kind of like very sort of high level type of thing. And he was amazing and supportive. And he was like, I am, I love this idea. Let me help you work on it. Uh, and ended up kind of talking through some stuff with him and a, a few people on his team. Uh, and then he ended up becoming my first investor in the business. So, um, it was probably overall like, a you know, six month process from like seeding of an idea to being like, okay, this is what I'm going to do to then deciding I wanted to quit my job and all that kind of stuff. But, um, but it was, it was brought it really, the decision was because I opened my mouth and shared it with someone. If you could get granular with the steps that you took between quitting your job, your former job, and then starting your company, you mentioned that you raised capital. What did those steps look like for you in the early stages? Because I think there's a lot of um, folks out there who say, similarly, I have these ideas. I, I see the vision. I see five, 10 years down the road, but I'm here now and I'm uncertain of the next steps to take to get me from point A to the first point B. Yeah. So I didn't raise money right, right away. Uh, first, I I just talked to a lot of experts in different areas. So I, and I knew there was like a medical side of this that wasn't my background. Like I, I'm a nerd at heart. So I was doing a lot of primary research and literally reading through like medical white papers and taking rampant notes and all that stuff. But I was like, I still, I, you know, I'm not a practitioner. And so I need to acknowledge where I need expertise. Uh, so I ended up like through both Googling and friends of friends and, um, this, this guy who ended up like being my first investor, just trying to get introductions to a bunch of different doctors. And what I knew was the right, like sort of approach was not just going to dermatology because my thing had been a skin thing. Cause I was like, I don't, it's, it is skin. Skin is one of the places where we notice these things, but it's not just skin. Um, and so I ended up talking to about like a hundred, 150 different doctors across, you know, um, well now we have a medical board that's, um, dermatology, endocrinology, OBGYN, functional medicine, and nutrition, but even gastroenterology, like I just had like 15, 20, 30 minute chats with people kind of shared my idea and try to get feedback. Um, and through that process, I ended up building, um, our medical advisory board that then helped formulate, okay, what should the product be? How can we test this? We ended up doing a pilot program where we tested, um, about 60 different women with, um, uh, saliva, blood, urine, and, and, uh, actually formulated what is now our skin and health test today. Uh, and the other thing I did, uh, that I think is really kind of unsexy, but practical advice is I, uh, I started thinking, I knew I couldn't do all these things alone. Um, so I started, uh, talking to people in my network who I would be thought like 
I would really love to do, to work on this with this person. I have no idea what that looks like. I can't offer them a job. I can't pay them today, but I want to share this with them and get their opinion and, and kind of bring them along the journey. And so, uh, one of the people that I did that with, um, had actually run our, uh, e-commerce for and brand for us at Cynthia rally. Uh, her name is Emily. And so from the earliest days, she kind of like knew this thing that I was working on was helping me a little bit on the side. And now she runs our, um, our marketing team at, uh, at Veracity. So it's really bringing in people to help you figure out what the things are you even need to do and what you should be building is, is sort of how, um, I would recommend the earliest days. You seem to be such an amazing master networker and relationship builder. What is your advice on getting to people, fostering those relationships, maintaining those relationships for longevity? Uh, well, I hate the word networker just because I think it has negative connotations. I agree. Um, I agree. Uh, uh, yeah, because people think it means you're like using people and spitting them out. And especially with like a Harvard degree, it's like, oh, that's just like that. The picture of that person makes me want to like, you know, vomit on myself. (laughs) Um, but that being said, you're right. I have built a network and I think it's because I try, um, I try to give as well as receive. And so, uh, you know, I will spend a lot of time both like, you know, up and down. And it's, you know, funny now that I'm older in my career, people that I thought were a hundred percent sort of my mentors, I've been able to reconnect with and, and then help them in their journey. So it's, it's about, trying to, to give and not just take, and also just build personal relationships with people like get to know like what they're doing, like have coffee. And that's why I honestly, I'm so happy the pandemic is, you know, over, um, because it's not just through, you know, 15 minute zoom meetings that you can really develop those connections. It's through grabbing a coffee, um, you know, going to a workout class, uh, whatever the thing is that you can connect with people. It's, it's about doing those things and investing and investing a time, like not always thinking you're going to get something out of it. My next question is twofold. One, how frequently do you create the space to um, engage with other people to maintain those relationships? And then an extension of that, what does your general day-to-day look like as far as your schedule? And how do you maintain it? Yeah, on the first, you know, I sometimes I think I'm a very strategic and organized person. And then I look at other people I know and they're like, wow, they're way more strategic. And they're like, I want to spend, uh, you know, only four hours a week doing this. And I'm just sort of a little bit more fly by the seat of my pants kind of thing. Um, I would say that I don't make hard rules. Um, but I try to think about like, what are my ultimate priorities either for the day, the week, et cetera. Like, what am I going to be pissed at myself if I don't get this done? And then otherwise it can be like a bit more like sort of fluid within that. Uh, and I just, you know, now being a mother of two and having my own company, uh, for better, for worse, there are more demands on my time. So I try to still make those, uh, the, that time, but box it into ways that, that makes sense. So like for me, um, I'm like a morning coffee is much more doable for me than like drinks at night, just right now. And that might change over time, but just really trying to be honest with myself of like, 
what can I give and where am I going to be in the right mind space that I'm actually like excited to do that? Because the worst thing, at least in my opinion, that you can do is you schedule things. And then right before it comes, it's supposed to be something that like you enjoy or excited about connecting with someone. And then right before it comes, you're like dreading it. You're like, Oh, can I cancel? Can I do this? Or I'm so stressed. I have work. Um, and I don't like to be that person who like cancels last minute. And let's say there's like really like, you know, a big issue. So anyway, that's my rant on that. And then, uh, what is my, I think your question was, what does my day to day look like? Um, yeah, it's, I'm definitely at a phase in my life and I'm trying to appreciate this because it is hard in the day to day where like my life is kind of bananas. Like I said, I have two small children, um, and my own company, which is both like a blessing because I can sort of make my own schedule and I, you know, don't have to sort of be in a place at a particular time or all that stuff. Um, but my, calendar ends up being ridiculously full to the point that then I can't like do any of this, like to have the flexibility that theoretically you could have. But yeah, I mean, I start off like the morning time is like, that's when I know, like I'm at my sort of like best and that's my time to like kick the day off with like a good start. Um, so I do wake up sort of ungodly early. Um, and I like set my sort of like work intentions quickly for the day, just kind of like scan, through, I have like a lot of other people, like these huge long to-do lists, but I'm like, I just try to like independently, not even look at that, but like, what do I need to do today? And if you like, think about it that way and maybe be like, I used to, and sometimes I still do have this like post-it rule. Like if you write the things that you need to do in the day and they're longer than like a small post-it, then like you're that's not like going to happen. And then you're just going to feel disappointed with yourself. But so I do a little bit of that organizing sort of mental clarity side of things. Um, and then I, um, I like to do something physical. Uh, I, like I mentioned, I'm a big runner, so I often, um, go for a run or, uh, do a bike or yoga or something like that to like get my sort of like blood flowing. Uh, and then I spend some time with my kids, um, have breakfast, all that stuff. And then it's like sort of off to work, uh, uh, you know, hardcore, uh, uh, back to back, like doing things like doing this podcast and then having a meeting on our marketing calendar and then talking to an investor. And I just feel like I have to wear like a million different hats in the course of one single day. Um, and then I'm always home, um, to put my kids to bed and I really do value that time to, um, to spend with them. And, uh, and then, you know, it's really not glamorous, but then I'm often, you know, doing a bit more work or trying to like catch a little TV or relaxation with my husband, um, you know, to sort of get up and do it all again the next day. How do you, at this stage in your life, is and the responsibilities come with all the different things that you have going on. Can you just say the question again? Cause you just caught up for just a minute when you were saying it. Sure. With all the things that you have going on, how do you manage your stress and maintain your groundedness and sanity? Because you seem to me to be a very grounded present person. I mean, it's something I work on. I work on a lot uh, and I want to be honest about that. And it's um, definitely not like consistent always, um, but it's something I've consciously made an effort for. Uh, and, you know, 
it's, it's doing stuff, not for just for the professional, but on the personal side, um, really thinking through like, what are your personal values? What do you want to get out of life? What do you want to remember? And so like when, I, I all the time have the temptation when I'm with the kids to like get on my phone and check that one more thing or just tie this thing up. And I'm like, no, I like literally try to like for like put my phone out of the room. Um, because I'm like, I want to be with them and just like do funny, fun things and, you know, make up stuff as I go along. And if I, um, I'm constantly thinking of my to-do list. That's, um, not going to happen. So I, for me, what has been the most grounding thing is to just be really like freaking honest about like your natural tendencies, what you love about yourself, what you maybe don't love about yourself and like, and not harping on it. And like, Oh, I hate how I do this. Or I hate that I can't wake up early or whatever the thing is that you're like kind of annoyed at yourself for, but just sort of like observing those things and, and not like judging them kind of like a meditative, like side of things. And with that, like observation, then you can, that is like then, uh, exciting in my mind. Cause then that enables like change. Cause you can be like, okay, here are the things I like here. I'm doing, here's the things like, maybe I want to change and here's how I can, um, how I can get from point A to point C, but like without, you will never go from point A to point Z. Like you got to go to B, C, D, E, F, G, all that, you know, kind of stuff. So, um, I don't know. That's, uh, a little bit of just how I try to stay a little bit sane. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that we don't allow ourselves enough time for our minds to wander enough as a collective. And I could not agree with you more. How do you carve out space for yourself and what does that look like for you to allow your mind to wander? Uh, yeah, for me, that's like where my running comes in. I love being in nature and like literally the science says it too, like having being outside and getting not only natural sunlight, but natural air within the first hour of waking is one of the best things that you can do, um, for your stress levels, for your hormonal balance in general. And I find that, um, that sort of like physical, like when your body is on autopilot is when your mind can like open up to things. It's almost like, it's like more functional dreaming. Right. And we all, well, we should know REM sleep is so important because it's like when your body is actually restoring these, um, synapses and connections. Uh, so for me, for me, it's kind of the, the running side of things, Um, and then in the evening and not every evening by any means, but just maybe like once or twice a week, um, I try to like write a little journal and, um, this is something that used to stress me out because, oh, I want a journal. And then it becomes like a to-do list. And then I'm like, just feeling disappointed with myself for not doing it. Um, but now I will just literally just start writing. And sometimes like it can, it might be the most ridiculous, like, whiny thing. And other times I like end up like in like the course of like one or two notebook pages, unpacking something that like, I didn't even know, um, was going to come out. And so just giving yourself little, little pockets of opportunity for that, whether, and, and just trying different things. If like, if the journaling thing doesn't work for you, don't be mad at yourself. Just like try something else. What is your response to hustle culture? Uh, 
Well, not to be too like seesawly about it, but like, I, I, I think first of all, ever you need a hustle. Like I, I have hustled, right? Like I, um, you know, get, even though like, I have my own company, like I get my ass out of bed early. I get myself to the office. I do like what I need to do. I like, you just got to make stuff happen. Right. Like, so I think that that, like, no one is going to come with you to you with a chariot and, and walk you to, um, you know, health, happiness and, and prosperity. Like you got to run that car like yourself and it's going to break down some days, whatever. So that part of like, and that's something I, we actually, um, my husband, and I did this little reflection of like, what do we want our family values to be? And like, what do we want to teach? Like, like we can't, we want to teach our kids a million different good things. Right. But like when it comes down to like, you really only can focus on like three to five things and like hard work was one of them. The hard work can be applied, not just to the things that society has said that deems success. Um, and that that's the important distinction, right? Like, so hustle culture just to, you know, get, um, and I realize I, again, I might sound like a hypocrite cause I have this like great degree or whatever, but like, you know, just to get these like name brand things or to, you know, work in venture capital or to have, say, do you raise so much money or whatever? Like that's like, not that interesting. Um, I think it's like, whatever you're good at, like, how do you channel your energy into that in a productive way? And that's what I think everyone should do, but especially the younger generation, um, you know, and, I, uh, you know, needs to know that like, that is the, that is the way you open yourself up to opportunities. At what point in building veracity, did you seek investors? Um, so, so relatively early on, because I ended up spending a, a bunch of my money on it, which, um, you know, which is great. And I love being an investor in my own company, but then it becomes really scary. And I think you just have to be honest with yourself as an entrepreneur, like what can you give? Um, and what, what does that mean for yourself, your family, all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we're creating this like you know, hormonal wellness platform. Like we believe that hormonal wellness, um, and the science backs it up, like is your key to looking and feeling your best and giving you the best barometer of your underlying health. Uh, the complicating factor of that for us is we do a lot of things. Uh, and we, we have a at-home hormone test where we've built like a digital wellness solution around that, where, you know, you take this test and then you get these, you know, personalized insights and recommendations. Um, we have physical products, both our skincare and our supplements. Um, and, uh, those things cost money. Um, we're doing it because we believe that like, really, we want to be this like end to end solution where like you can, you know, go the full bore where you really learn and dig into your personal hormonal health, or you're like, Hey, I just want to like get relief from my symptoms in a, um, in a way that's actually helping to rebalance rather than cover up my hormonal symptoms, which like would be our supplements. Or you're like, Hey, I just have acne or dry skin. And I want to use something that works. And is also not going to disrupt my hormones and worsen this whole thing. And so, um, we believe like that's sort of like trusted, like, uh, platform is the way that we're going to like build an interesting sort of brand and company. Um, so it does, you know, require money. And so you just have to be honest with yourself about that. So, um, I would say within the first, um, 
six months, we started thinking about raising a friends and family round. And I literally, uh, raised that round. Um, the click closed it. I think that on my son's due date and he ended up being like a few days late, but I was like, all right, got it under the wire. Um, but yeah, but that money was hugely helpful in making sure we could, you know, do all the things, create the products and, and really start to put it out into the world. What does your team look like now? We're, we're small and mighty. So we're, uh, six people full time. And then we have, you know, a bunch of, uh, amazing partners, uh, labs, doctors, uh, manufacturers, like contract manufacturers that we work with. Um, but our core team is, is, uh, really small and mighty. The thing that I find the most fascinating about your product is that you were the guinea pig to creating this brand. Like you are the lab rat for lack of better words. And you went through this journey and through your own research with your own health, you, you know, that kind of unlocked this amazing brand that you're now creating to help other people who would be like the right candidate or the perfect candidate for a product like veracity. Is it everyone? Yeah. I mean, it really is like, uh, we're focused mostly on women right now, just because, um, you know, that's uh, women have a lot of different hormonal issues. You see that. And really like women have been so underserved, so understudied in, in medical stuff. Like even the fact that most people don't know their menstrual cycle changes in their hormones, like it's crazy. Um, you know, longer term, I would say where we would love to address everyone, but we're super focused right now on this, um, uh, I would say like, uh, we call her like millennial plus type women, but we definitely have a lot of customers younger than that as well. But, but our core target right now is someone maybe like 30 to 45. Um, and because they're going through all these different life moments that are affecting their hormones, affecting their health, affecting their skin and hair, et cetera. Um, they're, you know, getting off birth control. They're starting to think about having kids or having kids. They're dealing with postpartum. They're looking at themselves in the mirror for the first time and seeing differences. Um, and we believe our role is bringing health into the conversation of beauty at the earliest touch point. So not only can you get better beauty results, but you can also have that important window into your underlying health and like what's been so personally satisfying about what we're doing, um, to me is hearing some of the stories from our customers where, um, someone maybe came into us with, because they just had persistent acne that they like, were like, what, where is this coming from? And then they learn like they're, they might be at risk of PCOS. And so they go see an OBGYN and a diagnosis that is typically taking nine years for most women to get, they can get within a few months. Like that is so powerful. Or we have another customer. I love telling this story. She took our test and she actually was seeing a psychiatrist for anxiety. Um, like a lot of people are, and she shared like, Hey, I took this hormone task. Like, and he was like, Oh, let me like, look at the results, looked at her hormone results and actually altered her medication levels, um, to be more appropriate to what she was experiencing in her body. And so it's like that it to me is like the ultimate form of empowerment. Like I'm better, I'm better able to get better care and and make better choices across, you know, things that seem superficial, like beauty products all the way down through like how I'm talking to my doctor and what questions I'm asking. And so, um, I don't even remember what the original question is, but that's why I'm so like excited about what we're building. (laughs) Why does a diagnosis that you spoke of earlier take nine years as opposed to, you know, the very short amount of 
time that it took for your team to give this patient an answer? Uh, well, just so that we're not diagnosing people, but we do give them insights and their actual levels and, and recommendations to potentially go see, um, extra, extra care. But I think two, two reasons come down to mind and, and hopefully someone, uh, other people I think are doing studies into really seeing what are the failures in our medical system in a more like holistic way. But I think the two, uh, sort of components that come to my mind are one, uh, patients or, or people don't even tell a physician all of the things that they're experiencing. Mm. So they don't, because they don't know, they go to a dermatologist. They only tell them about skin. They don't tell them that they're also like having irregular periods or whatever. So the doctor only has so much information. And then the second part of that is, um, that doctor, our doctors are not trained in a functional approach. They are really super specialists and that's how we've designed our system. And it's not our doctor's fault, but like, a, um, you know, a OBGYN, for example, largely like their ultimate form of training is to make sure they can like do surgery to deliver a baby. Um, and they are dealing with sort of the ongoing care, but that is like the, what they spend most of their time and effort on, uh, is that, um, and so it's sort of this mixed match of, of not sort of giving enough information and also not always having the right sort of expertise at hand. I'm like overwhelmed with questions and thoughts after you just said that. Uh, <laughs> um, what are you the most excited about with veracity coming up? Yeah, I mean, what I what would be success for for us from a sort of mission perspective is and I, I see this coming already, like from just the reaction to even when I tell people what we're doing is how that's changed over the last couple of years. But when I, what I see as success is when I tell women, like we're, we're, we're the pioneers in hormonal wellness. They're like, oh, thank God. Or like, yes, hormones, like they just are getting excited about what hormones and hormone balancing can do versus this like, oh, what, what are my hormones? Do they do anything? Are they related to my skin? Um, that, that from a mission perspective will be like when we're successful. And I think you see a lot of the underpinnings of that, um, through the, the, not only the press we've gotten, but more importantly, like what you see on like follow a hormone hashtag on like TikTok or Instagram, and you will be like, your life will change. <laughs> At what point in your own personal journey, did you feel empowered with the information that you learned about yourself? Similarly to how you're you know, affecting your patients' lives in an amazing way. What did that look like for you? I think a lot of health, we needed to divorce the fear from the proactivity. And this is not always my thing. When I was um, 14, I was like misdiagnosed temporarily with like this heart issue. And that was like the scariest thing in my life. Um, like I literally had to go to this, you know, cardiologist and go like, it was a whole thing. And I thought I wasn't going to be able to play sports. They told me I might die by the time I was 35. It was like this whole thing. And then I went to get second opinions and everyone's like, no, I don't see anything. Um, but anyway, that aside, I was like so many people, I was like, I don't want to learn anything. I'm just scared. I, um, and the amazing thing, especially about hormonal health is it shouldn't be scary because you can actually make change. It's not like genetics or just, um, 
I think what a lot of women do, especially, especially with like aesthetic things, you like internalize it as being a part of you. So for mm-hmm. example, you have acne and you're like, oh, I'm just ugly. I have, I, I am acne. Even in the language we use in the skincare industry, like acne prone, oily skin, um, it becomes a definition of who you are. Mm-hmm. So where I think mentally for me, when you can divorce who I am and anger at your body, right? Like I was super angry at my body when I was going through infertility with here's what's happening in my body right now. And then thinking like, what is an action plan to make that same thing not happen or, you know, get, make marginal improvements. And so that's where, um, I think opening myself up to information so that I could make changes was where, what really clicked for me say that who's listening to this episode and they've heard about veracity and they're curious about it. Can you walk us through the steps of what someone's experience with it online might look like? Yeah, sure. So like I said, we have three categories with now home hormone tests, skincare and supplements, and, um, you can come and experience any piece of those that works for you right now. Um, if you are interested in the test, um, it's a super easy at home saliva test. You get mailed a kit, you spit in a tube, it comes with everything you need. You send it back. Um, and then within about nine days, you get, um, you know, an email to log into your account. You get the, you get all of your hormone levels. We test five different hormones. You get education on what that means for your aesthetic health, your overall health. Um, and you get personalized recommendations to help treat that underlying root cause. So things like diet, exercise, sleep, stress management, um, and you also get product recommendations to help you kind of give confidence that you're making the right choices. Um, and then, um, and then, like I said, our skincare, our big thing is like, everything works. Like I'm, uh, you need to be performance driven and get results, but everything is a hundred percent, um, hormone safe. So free of all known or potential endocrine disruptors, both in our formulas and in our packaging. Like what people don't realize is packaging is half the hormone disruptions. Cause you're putting it's in plastic. It's melting on the truck on the way to your house. And like, then you're putting that on your face twice a day. Um, and then, um, and then our supplements, I, I, um, I believe supplementation is the great way to sort of like kickstart hormonal balance and making sure your body has the nutrients it needs. So, um, like I said, uh, you can take the test and kind of like get the full information and product recommendations where you can, um, uh, look through and, and find what sort of products are right for you, whatever makes sense for you in your life moment. What does the future of veracity look like? Oh, goodness. Uh, well, hopefully, uh, we continue to grow and expand and, um, and really like, uh, not only like to the mission thing, like I think that uh, like as a society, we need to be removing endocrine disruptors from everything or as many things as possible, because the amount of like you touch 85,000 chemicals a day that are disrupting your hormones. So all these things you're doing, to help with your health, like the, you know, all the workouts and the things you're eating, right. And how you're focusing on your sleep. Like it's so valuable, except for then like it's being disrupted by like, um, what you're putting on your face or the plastic water bottle you're drinking out of, or the receipt that like the coffee person hands you, like, it's just crazy the amount of stuff. Um, and so, uh, I think if we can really like 
I, I, I give this like weird, um, analogy, but, um, people sometimes are like, what is endocrine disruptor free? And I'm like, it is like what organic food is going to be, or like, it's the equivalent of what organic foods was where people are like, why do I need organic? It's just more expensive. And I don't like, I'm not fancy or whatever, but you're like, no, it does not include chemicals and hormones and all this other stuff that like you don't need to be putting in your body. And it's the same thing um, for us. So if we can really create that like sort of awareness and um, adaptation, uh, adoption, excuse me, um, that's what we're looking for. That's amazing. How can we support you and where can we find you? Yeah, well, you can uh, find us on Instagram at Veracity Self Care. Um, that's also our website, veracityselfcare.com. Um, and just would love for anyone to check us out or reach out. Um, we're always available to answer any questions um, and just want to be helpful in um, your health and hormone journey. Allie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so yeah, honored to know me. you. Oh my gosh. I'm so honored to know you and to celebrate what you're doing. You are literally doing God's work and you are changing lives. And, um, I hate that you went through, you know, the struggles that you went through with your own personal health, but my goodness, what a beautiful gift that it's turned into because of the people that you're helping. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. So I need that reminder to, to make all the craziness worth it, but this is so fun. Thank you for having me. You are so welcome. Wow, you guys, that interview was just amazing. A huge thank you to Allie for coming on the show and another big thank you to our hosts at Dash Radio and producers at Island City Media. If you like this episode, you can listen to it again and again on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a review so we can continue bringing you the people and conversations that you love just like Allie. Lastly, if you want to connect with me offline, you can find me at Marin Costello Radio on Instagram and MarinCostello.com. Have a beautiful day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to Marin Costello Radio, and we will see you again next week with another amazing guest. Yeah, yeah. Looking back at the times we put in some crazy vibe. It's been me, it's been you. Only one that I would die for. You've been solid, been a hundred. Ain't nobody got my back when it comes for that loving. Oh, yeah. You put the gas in the coupe when yeah. I was down. It was you, they see yeah. the ground, they see you, yeah. Perfect too, ain't no deuce. I'm just loving what you do. Baby, stay up in my mind.
Yeah.